Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, today we start a new series on this Pentecost Sunday called The Life-Giving Spirit. The Life-Giving Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. Oftentimes, though, we don't fully understand the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like the story that I had, uh, had read earlier this week. There was a man that recently visited the Sistine Chapel, and he couldn't wait to arrive. He couldn't wait to look up at the ceiling and, uh, and see all of the, the beautiful artwork from Michelangelo that he had read about and, and that he had heard about and seen pictures of in books. He was so excited to be able to see that firsthand, but as he walked through the front doors and he looked up, he was hit with disappointment. See, everything that he looked at looked faded and gray. In fact, he, the colors that jumped off the pages in those books suddenly just uh, weren't as colorful in person. In his disappointment, he decided to find one of the curators and he bluntly asked, he said, hey, what happened? This isn't the color that I've heard about. Where is the life that I've heard about, the brilliance? Where's everything that I've, that I've heard about? And so the curator just simply said, follow me. And so as they walked through the halls, the curator began to share with him about the candles that were burning continually down the halls. He explained to them how these candles are always burning. And because they continued to burn, the the soot and the ash from the candles created a dull film that, that was on the ceiling and the walls. As they continued their walk, the curator pointed out a space in the ceiling that had just recently been completely restored. The restoration process used special chemicals to remove thick layers of all the soot and the smoke that were covering the ceiling. The man stood back in complete wonder as he took in Michelangelo's masterpiece. It had been better than he ever imagined. Friends, I just want to let you know that there's been a lot of smoke that's been blowing about the Holy Spirit, and today we want to begin to wipe away some of the dust and the gray and some of the things so that we can really bring out the importance of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus himself recognized the importance of the Holy Spirit and had even told his disciples and, and said to them, listen, if I, it's better that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. Friends, I'm not sure what your experience has been, what your background has been, uh, what kind of a church affiliation you've had, but uh, an experience you've had, but there's been a lot of dust and, and a lot of soot, a lot of stuff that has crowded out the importance of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has come to do. And so in this series, The Life-Giving Spirit, we're going to take about three weeks and we're going to begin to wipe away some of that dust. And we're going to bring out the truths that are in God's Word that are so powerful for us in our lives as we kick off this series. Now listen, this is what Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says. It says this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Basically what that's saying is, is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. It's so important for us to understand that. The same, the same spirit that raised Christ off the cross, that, that when he died on the cross, gave him new life, that same spirit lives in you and I. Can we just think about that for a minute? 
That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, somewhere outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the Spirit of God descended in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and began to raise the body of Jesus Christ up. That same spirit that fell on the disciples, a mighty rushing wind in which they began to respond in boldness, preaching the Word of God when they had been cowering in fear before and gave them courage. And 3,000, God say, that same spirit lives in you and I. That same spirit that breathed life into the very first man, Adam, and, and, and the, the breath of God, the Ruach of God, began to breathe life and give, give life to his body, lives in you and I. That same spirit that was prophesied about in the book of Elijah, where there was an army of dry bones and prophesied to the wind and the breath, and as the breath came, it gave life to an army. Friends, that same spirit lives in you and I. If we could just get one piece of that practical theology into our spirit today, oh, how important that would be. It would change everything. Unfortunately, I think that most of us tend to live our lives, even as believers, as practical atheists. What do I mean by that? Well, author Craig Grishel defines practical atheists this way. He says it's when you walk around claiming that you believe in God and then you turn around and live your life a totally different way that denies his existence. Friends, how often do we find ourselves saying one thing, saying we believe one thing, saying that we walk with Christ in one way, and yet in another way, the way that we live doesn't exhibit that same spirit of God within us? In fact, let me ask you this question. If what you're doing right now, if the Holy Spirit were to not be present in your life, would anything change in the way that you live? Do you live dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Do you walk dependent upon the Holy Spirit? I think that's a a good question for us in our lives. So many times we get so busy and so wrapped up that we forget to lean and rely on the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so, friends, that's at the heart of this truth that I want us to, to get across in this series. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on specific people at specific times for specific reasons. It was the Holy Spirit that anointed Joshua to lead Israel. It was the Holy Spirit that anointed Othniel to judge Israel, to give him supernatural wisdom. It was the Holy Spirit that gave supernatural strength to Samson and the Holy Spirit that gave supernatural courage to a guy by the name of Gideon. You move from the judges to the kings and you see that it was the Holy Spirit that was poured out and anointed the first king of Israel, Saul. And, and they said it is even Saul numbered among the prophets. Now listen, a lot of these people made mistakes. They, they, they messed up and, and messed around with the anointing that God had had on their lives. But it doesn't change the fact that the, the spirit of what the spirit of God is capable of doing in just an average human being. The Spirit downloads plans and blueprints for the temple of God to David. The Spirit gives Daniel the ability to be able to interpret dreams and fills him with the the very Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that stirs up a, a man by the name of Zerubbabel to rebuild Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And then if we move on into the New Testament, I just want to focus just simply on the life of Jesus for a moment. It was the Spirit of God that, that conceived Jesus Christ in Mary, that gave conception to Jesus Christ within Mary. It was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness. It was the Spirit of God that descended upon Jesus in his baptism. And it was Jesus himself that acknowledged that the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, the recovery of sight 
for the blind. Jesus didn't do anything without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when He came, He was fully human, operating under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it was the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, in which in Romans we see that same Spirit lives in you and I. Oh, what a difference it would make if you and I capture that practical theology, if you and I get that truth as believers in Jesus Christ, that that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. How would that change the way we live if we had that understanding Jesus said again unless I go away the advocate will not come the Holy Spirit advocate that word advocate defends on your translation in some translations it's comforter it's counselor it's helper it's a beautiful word in the Greek language parakletos in the Roman military formation, it would, it would be two soldiers military-wise that would stand back-to-back with, 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 with shields in their hand. In other words, what they're saying is, the Holy Spirit has your back. When you begin to walk with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has your back. In fact, Romans 8 says that He's interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Jesus ascends to heaven to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost and there is a changing of the guard in the church as the Holy Spirit doesn't just descend on us individually, but the Holy Spirit begins to come and live within us. Oh, how awesome is that? The Holy Spirit doesn't just descend, it indwells, it infills, it sets up shop within us. I love the way Mark Batterson put this he said, at Bethlehem, he is God with us. At Calvary, he is God for us. And then it gets even more at Pentecost because he is God in us. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Oh, wow, how good is that? Friends, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and, and, and wants to have a relationship with us. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so vital today. Listen to Romans 8 and verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God, look at this, living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Christ at all. So there's a, that, that when you belong to Jesus Christ, when you have surrendered your life to Christ, when you invite Christ into your life, when you invite, uh, when, you, when, you need, when you say, Lord, I need your salvation, I need your forgiveness, I need to be born again, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. For the remainder of the time, I want to look at Romans chapter 8 today and what the life-giving Spirit brings to our lives. What does the life-giving Spirit bring to our lives? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit brings freedom. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. Look at this, Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, so there, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to, look at that, death. We talked about that last week. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So sin's control, sin's power, no longer has an effect when we surrender our lives to Christ. Why? Because the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us, and sin's control is no longer over our lives. I don't know about you, but I think that's great news. 
He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be satisfied for us who no longer follow the sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Let's break that down for a moment because that is extremely powerful today. No condemnation. That's where it starts. There is now no condemnation for those that belong to Christ Jesus. When you belong to him, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and it breaks the power of condemnation in your life. Too many times we live with this condemnation in our lives. We condemn ourselves. Our lives are full of guilt. Our lives are full of shame. Our lives are full of regret. All too often we live with a statement that says, oh, I wish I could. I wish I would have. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I hadn't made that decision. You know what that is? That's regret. All too often we look at our past decisions, our past mistakes, and they begin to overwhelm us. But when you belong to Jesus Christ and his spirit is in you, his spirit breaks that condemnation. Freedom starts with forgiveness, friends. Freedom starts with forgiveness. The spirit draws us to Christ, but you must choose to receive his forgiveness and then live as a forgiven person. We've got to begin to live as a forgiven person. It's not that Jesus hasn't forgiven us. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The truth is not that we're not forgiven, but sometimes we don't walk in that forgiveness. When we receive Christ Jesus, we receive the forgiveness he offers. We are no longer a slave to be bound by guilt and shame and regret. We need to begin to walk in the freedom and forgiveness. We do this by letting the Spirit of God begin to control our lives and begin to control our thoughts, the Spirit within us. Look at Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about the things that please the Spirit. Paul completely understood this. He understood that battle between the sinful nature and the Spirit of God. The the, the sinful nature, there's that battle that goes on. In Romans chapter 7, he shares with so many of us experience, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if what I do what I now if I do what I do not want to do it's no longer I who do it but the sin that is living in me that does it. Have you ever felt like that? Can you identify with what Paul is sharing? I know that I can. I know there are those times when it just feels like, man, the things I want to do, I don't do, and those things I don't want to do, my goodness, they just continue to overwhelm me. And he actually says, who rescue me? Who rescue me from this body of death? You know, rescue is like salvation. Who'll save me from this? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He understands that it's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus understood that when we have him, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And that's when he begins to say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He continues to tell us where we can find that victory. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there's no condemnation. Again, for you belong to him and the power, look at this, of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin has no power over you. The same Holy Spirit that drew you to Christ is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you that gives the power to be able to overcome sin and a sinful nature. He comes to give us freedom, and freedom begins by walking in forgiveness. Secondly, freedom is sustained by the Spirit. It's not only that we are freed, but we are also sustained 
by the Spirit. We can walk in that. You see, the enemy of your soul understands uh, the, the, the power of a person living in freedom. And, and he tries everything possible to keep us from living as we should. We talked about it last week in overcoming temptation, that there are certain schemes and certain things that the enemy tries to do to introduce to deceive us. This is how Satan attacks us. He tries to undermine God's credibility. Did God really say He tries to make it hard for us to live the Christian life, bringing all kinds of things against us. He tries to confuse with false teaching as he tried to trip up Jesus, even in his own temptation, and by bringing up Scripture but twisting it a certain way. He tries to cause division within the body of Christ. Oh, how often that destroys when we allow the enemy to sow division within the body of Christ. He tries to get you to trust yourself more than God. If we, are to, if, we, if we are to sustain and walk in the freedom that we have, we need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. It's not an external physical battle, but it's a very real spiritual battle. And James chapter 1 says that we need to engage in spiritual warfare. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Notice, pray in the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit because that's how we do battle. That's how we do battle. The Holy Spirit sustains us so that we can walk in forgiveness and we can walk in freedom. Thirdly, freedom is strengthened by our daily experience with the Spirit. The Spirit is not just something cerebrally that we get in our head, but it has to be something that we experience and live out on a daily basis to begin to live out the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10, but it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us the deep, God's deep secrets. Your daily experience gives you enlightenment. It it opens up your understanding into God's word. That's why John 16, 13, Jesus said this, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what what he has heard and he will tell you about the future. I, I gotta be honest with you. These days we live day by day, week by week. We don't know what the future holds, trying to make these decisions but we can walk in the Spirit and we can ask the Spirit to give us an understanding of the times in which we live and to lead and guide us each and every day. It's so important to be in God's Word. That's where we, the Spirit of God begins to speak to us when we have a daily habit, a daily habit of being in God's Word. We connect to God and we connect through a community of believers. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, look what happened to the believers. They began to devote themselves to some spiritual disciplines, to spiritual things. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. That includes the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They devoted themselves to growing and teaching, but also in fellowship. Through gathering together as a church family, it's why I'm, I'm so excited. I'm glad that we can gather online and that we have that medium, but I'm so excited that next week we get to open back up at 9 and 11, and we get to also worship together and begin to fellowship together. It's so important for us to continue to do that and commune together. And so whether you continue to commune online or whether you get to be a part of our service next week, man, we are just so excited because it is so important because the Holy Spirit is here and the Holy Spirit it brings us towards that fellowship. Thirdly, the, or secondly, what the life-giving Spirit brings into our lives, the Holy Spirit brings peace. Not only freedom, but brings peace. Look at what 
Romans 8, 6 to 8 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind that leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. The sinful nature brings us in conflict with God. It never, obeyed, it never did obey God's laws. It never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature never please the Lord. You've got to understand that battle, that when we look to please the sinful nature, we are in opposition to God, and we don't have peace in our lives. But when we learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit puts inside of us a desire to obey the Lord, and as we obey the Lord, it brings peace into our lives, and we are no longer dominated by fear. How does the Holy Spirit bring peace? The Holy Spirit helps you to accept what you cannot control. There is so much in this world. If we haven't learned that over the last couple of months, there is so much that we cannot control. But John 14, 26 and 27 reminds us, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now look at what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Not a false peace, not a temporary peace, not a peace based on circumstances always going your way, but an inside peace, a peace let not your heart be troubled, and let, it, let it not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be in trouble because the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, the Holy Spirit gives us a peace that the world cannot understand, a peace that Philippians says passes all understanding. The Holy Spirit helps you trust the loving, God's loving care. Look at Isaiah 26, 3. We've said this before. You will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The peace of God begins the thoughts in our minds. So what do you dwell on? What do you fix your thoughts on? When you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to direct your thoughts, when you begin to fix your thoughts on the things in God's Word, the things that are good and lovely and honorable and just, those things that Philippians talks about, says think on these things. That passage of Scripture follows the peace of God that passes all understanding when we begin to pray and we begin to have a confident trust and hope in the Lord. The Holy Spirit helps you to surrender to God's control. One of the reasons that we don't have peace of mind is oftentimes we're not surrendered to God's control. We want to control things. We want to put our hands on things. And when we put our hands on things and God is not in control, it strips us of our peace. Psalm 119, 165 reminds us that those who love your instruction have great peace and do not stumble. When we live in obedience to God rather than struggling against Him, we'll have peace in our lives and His protection. Thirdly, this is what the life-giving Spirit brings to us. It brings to us freedom, brings to us peace, but also brings to us fellowship. Consider the Trinity. God makes Himself known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is relationship between them. In other words, they're intimately related and cooperating together. That is, that is the image of God. That is what God's picture is for our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, look at that, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that be with you all. There's a picture of the Trinity there. But what does fellowship in the Spirit mean? Well, the Holy Spirit wants friendship. He's the catalyst for that fellowship and that friendship and that relationship that we have with God. He's not some distant deity. He, he's not some distant deity we cannot connect with, but he's personal 
and he's intimate and his friendship with us and, and his sonship with us, his family relationship, sons and daughters of God, he brings us into intimacy with him. Genesis 1 1 and 2 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God was present in the beginning. The Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was there to bring life. As the Word of God was spoken, let there be light. And the Spirit of God was there at creation when God created Adam and Eve and breathed life into them, gave life to them, began to breathe the breath of God into them, and the Holy Spirit was there with Jesus Christ on the cross, and when he raised him from the dead, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I, and now God, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing? He's preparing a place for us. Why? Because he wants to bring us there that we might be back in that perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father, enjoying that intimacy once again. Romans 8, 15, and 16 tells us what happens now. So what happens now? We know what's coming. We know what was, but what happens now? This is what the Spirit of God does for us now. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful as slaves, but instead you receive God's Spirit as He adopted you as His own children. And now we call Him Abba Father. That's a very intimate term, Daddy. That's a daddy term, Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know what the spirit of God does? The spirit of God adopts us into God's family and that gives to us this powerful idea that we have a seat at God's table and that we take on his name, that we're no longer slaves, not just set free from sin's power and from sin's presence and dominance, but now we have been given by the Spirit of God sonship and brought into his family. You know that, that one of Jesus' favorite terms, titles for God was Father. He used it 165 times in the Gospels. He refers to, to God as his father when he's teaching about prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He refers to God as his father when he is in agony and he's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane on his way to the cross. He refers to God as father. When he's on the cross, he, he, he's calling out to father. It's intimacy, his father. The Spirit of God gives us intimacy as father. I know this is complicated, some of you who have had a great relationship with your father, you identify with this. Your, your father's been good to you, and, and so you can identify with this. But there are many people that, that have not had a good relationship with their father. In fact, sometimes it's been a very painful relationship. And so this idea of God as father doesn't, doesn't speak very well. Some of you ladies have been treated very poorly by men, and so the idea of God being father is very hard to understand how to have intimacy and how to break through in a relationship. And yet I want you to understand that, that although they are very imperfect men, very imperfect fathers, very imperfect people, God is a perfect father who invites us and the Holy Spirit helps us to begin to relate to him in that very intimate way. Now let me help you understand this with sharing this story as we get ready to close today. Uh, when President Kennedy was in the White House, 
For the first time in a long time, there were kids that were running around the White House. He was one of the youngest presidents. He had a young family. He had young kids. They were running the halls of the White House. And it's reported that that John Jr. would run into the Oval Office in his PJs and his bathrobe and his slippers, and he would jump into his father's lap, and, and he would turn his father's attention and want his father's attention. No matter what was going on in the Oval Office, whether there were cabinet members in there or, or, or whatever was happening, a, a conversation about law, a bill that needed to be signed, whatever it was, all of that stopped at that moment when John Jr. would jump into his father's arms and all of a sudden he would begin to engage with his son. Anybody else in that room? (laughs) That would have been a strange thing. Cabinet members, can you imagine them walking into the Oval Office in slippers or, or a robe and jumping into the president's lap? That would seem really strange, but it didn't seem strange to John Jr., Why? Because to John Jr., he wasn't the president, he was his daddy. He was his father. There was an intimate relationship that was there. And the Bible says that we can enter into the throne room of God's grace to find help and mercy in our time of need. The Holy Spirit helps to remind us of the intimacy that we can have with the Father. And he does that because the Holy Spirit lives within us and brings us into fellowship. See, life in the Spirit has many benefits and blessings. They're all for for our benefit. It's not just the sign gifts, but it's understanding the Holy Spirit who lives within us and who wants to bring us freedom, who wants to bring us peace, and who wants to bring us into fellowship with the Father, a greater intimacy in our relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit wants to help you walk in that freedom every single day day, freedom from your guilt and your shame and your regret and your fear, freedom from the flesh and the sinful nature and those persistent sins that keep us bound. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you peace, not just from external circumstances, but a peace in your relationship with God and a peace that comes within of knowing intimately the Father who is in control, no matter what you face. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you into a deeper fellowship with the Father so that you can have confidence to run as a child of God and to jump into His lap and to say, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, I need help. Abba, Father, I need you. Abba, Father, I want to commune with you. Abba, Father, I want to fellowship with you. Today, I want to invite you to ask the Father to give you His Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe today that's the place you need to start for you cannot begin a relationship with the Holy Spirit without first acknowledging your sin and asking Jesus Christ for his forgiveness and his grace. That what he paid, the sin debt that he paid for you on the cross, paid in full, that you can experience that that forgiveness of sin, that peace with God, and enter into that fellowship with God, having the Holy Spirit live within you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you struggle with the idea of forgiveness, you need the Holy Spirit to help you to begin to walk in that freedom and to sustain that freedom and to get that position that sin no longer has control over your life. You need to experience the life-giving Spirit today. Listen, Luke eleven thirteen. if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more your heavenly Father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Let's ask the Father for the Holy Spirit today. Will you pray with me today? 
Dear Jesus, we acknowledge our sin today. We ask you to forgive us of of our sin and to cleanse us today. And Father, we want to be full of your Holy Spirit. So we ask you today to fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask you today that the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that you would stir up the gift of God within us. You'd stir up the Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, you'd help us to really recognize and live out the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us each and every day. Holy Spirit, break the power of sin in our lives. Help us to walk in that no condemnation, to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh, to walk in the confidence that we are forgiven, that we would just understand that intimacy and fellowship with the Father that we'd run in and say, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you invited Jesus into your life, I want to encourage you. Will you email us at info at painsvilleag.com? Will you go and, and fill out the connect tab, uh, the decision card in the connect tab uh, uh, of our app, if you've downloaded our app, so that we can know and we can be praying with you. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you just to join with us in worship as we come to the altar and close out this service. Just begin to worship the Lord and ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.